guess who it is? It's post-production, and I'm just just popping it, saying, you all right? How is everybody? <laughs> so, Warren Ellisman, that's what we're doing, except we did actually tape these about a year ago. And, well, I suppose we're putting them out in January, so it's not late for at least another week yet, because <laughs> it's still January. Anyway... Some of the references might be a little bit out of date and, you know, when we talk about the, the issues du jour. <laughs> that doesn't mean the fancy ones, that just means the ones of the day. So, you know, just in case you thought we were dead fancy, right? So anyway, please enjoy it. I just thought I'd put this at the beginning and let you know that the, we taped these a little while ago. Um, but it's amazing content and you should all be very happy. Um, please, if you enjoy it, Give us a like. The channel's growing really well at the minute and we just want to add to that. So if it's first time, click the subscribe and please, most of all, do enjoy the episode. Toodaloo! everybody and welcome to the end podcast month off now you're thinking how could it be a month off when you're when you introduced it like hello this is the end podcast well let me tell you <laughs> be the gluttons for punishment that we are we don't actually have a month off we just don't do two hour tapings we focus on something very specific and give you nice short bites little little chomps munches of <laughs> a legendary creative writer, author, whatever way you want to say it. I'm easy, baby. So this month, we're going to be focusing on five titles from Warren Ellis. Now, before we get on to the, to the meat of the discussion, I just want to remind you that we are the Pod, and we're on all platforms. We talk about movies, TV shows, and comics. And you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, where we do reviews. Instagram's where we collate art from the stuff we've been reading. And then Spotify, where else? Apple Podcasts. And anywhere you can listen to a podcast, basically, where you like it. I mean, if there's anywhere where you can't hear us, then, well, you won't be listening to us. So what do I care (laughs) anyway? This one ain't for you. If you just picture somebody not listening to the podcast, that's who I'm addressing. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could give us a like, a subscribe, a follow. I know you guys are listening and I said to you before Christmas, just make make us a happy Christmas. Give us some follows, some subscriptions. Just do it. Come on, it ain't going to cost you anything, is it? All you have to do is click it. It's just a little movement of your thumb or your finger. And, you know, (laughs) that can be a a very (laughs) rewarding process. (laughs) (laughs) oh that's smut started already okay so this month we are going to be looking at warren ellis today we're going to be doing planetary then we're going to be doing cressy desolation jones the ultimate galactus trilogy and then his run on hellblazer and with me today it's an absolute treat for you all because (laughs) say hello to everybody tara hello to everybody tara (laughs) (laughs) how's everybody out there i hope someone's answering from somewhere (laughs) happy to be with you this morning matt happy to have you where can they find you tara oh they can find me on um twitter at film noir girl with three r's and (laughs) and on uh i'm also on instagram but uh, but you'll have to actually know my real name to find me there. I can help you with that later. <laughs> but I've got a link. The, the podcast is yes, the at the underscore, sorry, at the end underscore pod. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to find me personally, it's the end underscore Matt with one T. 
And that's the only place you'll find me on social media because I don't like it anymore. I find it a vindictive and tumultuous spouse and I shan't be a part of it any longer. (laughs) (laughs) Although I do write reviews on our Twitter, so, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, I haven't drank before six o'clock today. (laughs) (laughs) So really, it's still dry January. So I think, I think... There's something that needs to be addressed off the top. We're only going to be doing it on this episode. Maybe I'll direct you back to it in future episodes. But there is, of course, controversy with Warren Ellis in recent years. And you will say, how can you do a podcast in adoration of somebody that has been accused of such heinous acts? Well... The only way I can say this is that there are accusations. He's not been convicted of anything. I would happily do a podcast on my on the genius of Michael Jackson, but I would fucking not piss on R. Kelly if he was on fire. And now <laughs> how I think appropriate. That was a total accident. That's subliminal, mate. Anyway, it's not an R. Kelly podcast. <laughs> I said it's not, and I won't be drawn into it. So, but seriously, there seems to be is it reparations apologized he's trying to understand what's happened while you cannot condone even the accusations what you can do is appreciate that somebody is trying to understand at least what happened and and make amends for it whether that's possible or not is another debate i also strongly believe that you can separate the art from the artist but i don't really want to get too intricate into the into the politics of it, because we've always said that isn't the podcast we are. That's why we didn't talk about a number of, of things that have happened in the last couple of years in any detail or even reference them, except when there was a news story actually with Shuri not being an anti-vaxxer. And the only reason we talked about that is because it affected the film and not yes. whether we agreed or disagreed. We both disagreed. <laughs> we both agreed. <laughs> no, we both disagreed with it with and agreed with the studio. I'd like to agree with you and also say that... Um... If it helps to know I'm a survivor of trauma like that, and I still feel the same way and have looked into this enough to see that there have been efforts towards restorative justice, and I am comfortable with separating the art from the artist. I feel that we've tiptoed around that, and I've put down a big size 10 in the middle of the ice, and now I feel like I'm drowning. (laughs) (laughs) Gasping for air. So... Tara, a little bit of background on Warren Ellis, and definitely Please. the first time that I've attempted this, and I absolutely ever get things in the first take. The reason Always. why it was, was discovered <laughs> was he was in a Thatcherite Britain, everything was dark and gloomy, everybody was broke and nobody could find a job. Uh, he had a number of shitty paid jobs and he used to read comics. He got that drunk and pissed off one night that he wrote... He hate texted, he drunk dialed a publisher to tell him exactly, no, it was a magazine, sorry, a magazine to tell him exactly how bad this comic was. That's another, a great story. Another publisher got hold of it, it must have been passed around, like, look at this asshole, and said, okay, <laughs> you think you know what you're doing, you come and write reviews for us, because that was actually pretty good, <laughs> and you weren't bad-mouthing us. The money that was in comics at that time meant that the publisher, flush with money, Viz, which isn't the publisher that brings manga to America. They did this monthly smut comic and it had like, it was all fucks and buggers and cunts and regional stereotypes of like jocks, Geordies, Sid the Sexist and people like this. Exaggerations of these tokenistically bad, bad people. But they were selling like one and a half million every single month and it was in the 2000 ad format where it was a number of short stories but these were just funny so they weren't continuous there was no sequential storytelling or anything they were flush with money and they wanted to do proper comics so they said well you think you can do you you tell everybody how to do it better why don't you give it a go and from that from that little introduction through complete happenstance he got picked up by dc he did a two-issue batman short story that went down incredibly well and then marvel asked him to do um, a short story there and everything just blew up from that point onwards it's an incredible story it's not like mark millar who from day one from age six was drawing comics and his dad would take them to work to photocopy and he was selling them on the street to his friends each month and he'd always wanted to do superheroes warren ellis is completely different he hated superheroes and the way that he describes it is Mm. i don't hate them but he says if you want to 
go to your video shop when you had video shops. It was an old interview, you know. <laughs> he said, I you, you've got horror, you've got comedy, sci-fi, pornos. He said, why is it that comics is the only thing that is dom- like 75% dominated by one single genre, which is superheroes? He said, it makes no sense. He just objected to everything else just being completely drowned out. Later on, I've got a couple of anecdotes from John Cassidy that says he thinks he doth protest this too much, that he secretly <laughs> loves it. At that point as well, the way that he came through 2000 AD, of course, there was Garth Ennis at the same time, and they were both on each of the stag days as well. <laughs> so there was this real, well, everybody knows about the Brit invasion, but they changed comic. Comics was about to go bust and they needed fresh ideas and they completely changed the landscape between them. And he was an integral part of that. Another mm-hmm. thing that people don't, probably don't realise about Warren Ellis is that he was uh, a pioneer in using the internet. His forum, the Warren Ellis Forum, was the first platform, not mainstream, but the first easily accessible, accessible. platform for people who are into comics. It started the careers of people like Matt Fraction, Chip Zdarsky, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Kieran Gillen. They all met networking through his platform and the only reason why it's not still there today is because it grew grew so big that he was unable to personally take care of it so we had two options pay someone to take care of it or shut it down so he shut it down and what you won't know is well i love this i love these facts it's really interesting i'm excited too (laughs) that matt fraction and kelly sue deconic have had two children together since they met through that platform the first time they spoke, they spoke for about nine hours and knew they were instantly in love with each other. Chip Sadarsky is a pen name. Matt Fraction is actually Matt Frickman, but they were the handles that they used. I can't remember Sadarsky's real name, but they were the handles that they actually used on his forum. There's like a rich history of Warren Ellis that has its and your tendrils <laughs> throughout you know, the modern like age the of tendrils. comics. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> the reviews he was writing for were for a publication called Speakeasy. Speakeasy, oh, nice. which was a publication through Viz. Again, not the manga Viz, but the British smut. <laughs> smut comic Viz. Honestly, Viz was one of those where, because you weren't old enough to buy it, someone would steal one from their older brother and at the back of the bus, at the back of the school bus, there'd always be someone good at accents and he'd be like, <laughs> they'd be reading them out to everybody. <laughs> and it was I was absolute... in that part of the bus. <laughs> oh my god what was that laugh i know we didn't want to ponder on the uh, controversy but there's there's actually a really good about hour and a half long documentary on warren ellis that's available on youtube in four it's called i think hunting ghosts or finding ghosts warren ellis yes. finding ghosts and on that every one of those creatives i'd completely consensually say he started my career I would not be in comics if it wasn't for Warren Ellis and the Warren Ellis forum and they all say that this gruff grumpy old man is almost like a major image that he's conjured to keep people at arm's bay but when you get to know him he's he's like a soft toy he's like a cuddly bear the gentle giants oh thank you Tara captured ghosts yes there you go so let's not dawdle any longer on this one let's get into the nuts and bolts of planetary do you know why Warren Ellis wrote Planetary? I would love to know. When he started to write superheroes, he knew absolutely jack shit about any of the characters. So the publishers, DC Marvel, would send him boxes and boxes of facsimile copies for him to research so he'd get to know the characters. And he said he had 10 years of this stored in his mind. Oof. 10 years worth of... of of research and development and he's always said he always says it's pushed out things which i think is a perfect excuse if you're if i was to ever be married he says it started to push out useful <laughs> things like how to wash the dishes or what naked women look like <laughs> so it's all he, out of his brain then <laughs> exactly so he had to expunge it all and that expunging actually expunged no okay that's not a good thing because that's sucking out of it in it let's say that <laughs> that process then formed planetary and we'll talk a bit later about the themes and stuff but mm-hmm. there's clear fantastic four there's clear um, galactus references it's a meta commentary on on the golden age of comics that yes. you can tell has come through that expunging of information the saturation of information that he was 
in I suppose he'd say subjected to but <laughs> to be able to do his job it is a bit tongue-in-cheek because he's one of the creators that realizes without them then he isn't able to do stuff like I suppose really at that point authority and Wildstorm was still at image so yeah he recognizes <laughs> he isn't allowed he, he wouldn't have been able he wouldn't have had the opportunity Pew, 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 pew. He wouldn't have pew, had the pew, opportunity pew, pew, pew. <laughs> to, do his, to do his own shitting. <laughs> I'm choking, choking on my lies. There's <laughs> me showing off about not having COVID. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah, well, I'll I, I, I do anything on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, and yeah, I'm the only one left without COVID. Yeah, but okay, mate. <laughs> it's like, it's like keel over and die on the episode. So, no, please don't. Tara, what were your general thoughts? Did you enjoy it? Yes. Now, it was a slow burn start for me, but I figured out why. Because it really shouldn't have been a slow burn. I think I was trying too hard to hold every fact in the beginning. And at some point, relaxed and let it flow and realized that if something didn't make complete sense to me at the moment, that later I would find out why I was there. So once I got into enough of a flow for that, then um, I really, really enjoyed it. I also love the fact that he um, seems to reference so many things without being derivative of any of them. That's a real incredible gift that you don't see very often. I could not think of an exemplar to compare it with. So yeah, once I surrendered myself to not understanding every frame as it went, I definitely enjoyed the fact that things mattered in and of themselves and then they mattered in terms of being threads that would be picked up later that's a skillful thing it's the kind of thing that makes me want to reread things and there's not everything is a rereadable piece of art for me personally i like the fact that even the four leads as you call them the fantastic four but not literally the The villains yeah but they're anti-heroes too Uh, i mean the actual villains the four four oh that the four sorry i was thinking about the four and the four yeah i know yeah yeah it's confusing yeah (laughs) <laughs> it is a little bit confusing. But the fact that they change what they call themselves as they go was fascinating to me, too. The idea that at some point they're calling themselves mystery archaeologists, at another point they're calling themselves dream archaeologists, all sorts of things like that. And just how eclectic, but was just wowed by the, the layers, how each piece can also stand alone. It was the first yeah. time for me. I can't imagine it was the first time for you. Definitely was. Yeah, it's the first time I did turn the page of it. That makes me feel better. But, um, but <laughs> it's just the, uh, too much to read, isn't there? Like, it's never, a lot. You'll never read everything. You'll never... No, but there are pieces I want to go back to. I really <laughs> struggled with this. Had this just been arrived in, had this just have arrived in the post and I was able to read it completely clean, I would have liked it more. It's simply considered one of the greatest pieces of comic writing of the modern age mm-hmm. and that's where i take umbrage with it it underwhelmed me up to the midpoint before it actually has long-form storytelling the first 10 maybe 12 13 issues felt very truncated there was never any peril there was never any caution applied it was we need to go here and find something we're here we found it completely end of story and it mm-hmm. was a really abrupt end to each story. It felt like I'd missed two pages. I it, often did that. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't smooth. Reading it in omnibus form, it mm-hmm. makes it feel very, very jerky. I think if you were going to do this on a monthly solicit or bi-monthly it solicit, might be different. it might be different. But I could see what they were doing. They were going through a golden age of heroes, whether it be superheroes, there's a thing with a Dracula, there's a thing with a Sherlock Holmes. Keiji, is it Keiji? Kaiju? Kaiju, Kaijus, Monster Island, all that kind of shebang. I was on a tour of Hollywood houses where I'd sit outside. <laughs> and I'd, look at, I'd look at it and go, yeah, it's a house. That's a nice house. Okay, yes. what's next? <laughs> okay, here's another Hollywood house. This one has a swimming pool and monsters. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. Oh, this one's, got, this one's got Galactus. Okay, no, I get it. I get it, but it's, it's another house. <laughs> The problem with the truncated storytelling, you're never preceding what's happening in the next one. So when they drop a bomb in the story, I didn't think it was anything else because I had no expectation 
because this is the first I'm hearing of it. So while this is narratively, canonically, a big, big deal going forward, it has no shock value because you're just dropping it on me. And, and this isn't, not mild spoiler, but it's a plot point. The, the good guys are, they have numbers, number one, two, three, four. And number four is like a silent partner and they're trying to find right. who it is. But it's never really addressed. And also in those, going back to the Neil Gaming thing, put someone in a silly hat. When you have a number of, <laughs> when you have a number of characters, uh, supporting characters and they're all white men, don't call one Thompson, Jones and Ward because I will not be able to separate them in my mind. I don't know if this is the guy from two issues ago, or I don't know if this is the one now. Make one a black man. Make one a Chinaman. Actually, that's right. Is Chinaman racist? Make, make, someone, <laughs> yeah. make someone Asian. <laughs> make someone Asian. <laughs> oh, well, you know, if they're still with us now, then they're fucking... You know what I mean? They've already... They've already... <laughs> They've stuck with this this far. That ain't going to be the thing that gets gets me off the air. Anyway, <laughs> this oh, no, is why was... my notes look like the moment in the in the procedural where they find out who yeah, the serial yeah. killer is because I had like connections and like mm. no, this guy is this guy, not that guy, because the names. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a piecemeal approach to long form storytelling. Okay, this is now the most important thing. Well, why don't we start with that then? Or why are you dropping this in now? What is the point of escalation? Okay, we've identified that thing, and now it's spinning out of that. I really did struggle up to that point. There was no reverence to human life. There was an ambivalence to the effects of what they were doing. The, the good guys are supposed to be finding things and information to make life better, but there seems to be no consequences to any of their actions. These hugely overpowered beings that are with no consequences i know they're a super secret agency but at the same time if you have that ambivalence to the consequences then at what point it's like in the matrix right they're allowed to kill all the security guards and that to get to um agent smith or to get out yeah. mm -hmm. because what they're trying to do in the end is to free all the people from the pods but right. every time they shoot someone in the matrix they're killing somebody in the pods so it's kind of counterproductive right. that you're not trying to conserve life in the process of trying to conserve life. Can I draw an analogy? It's as if there's Star Trek with no prime directive. Exactly. Yeah, very, very good point. And getting back to the first 10, uh, there's just something I've put here. In hindsight, from doing research, I can see why they did that, because you are mm -hmm. running through the, the Golden Age, which I can get on board with, but it doesn't mesh well with this form of storytelling. In actual fact, when you strip away the big ideas of it, I can compare this to the reboot of Wildstorm and Injection, which Warren Ellis also wrote, which are two okay. absolutely brilliant titles I'd recommend to anybody. You've got the high concept sci-fi, but without the personal narrative that's over... over uh, superimposed on top of it which was jarring that was the word i was looking at and and okay. those first 10 issues i felt like they were orphaned tie-ins like they were specifically contextual on their own yeah it's like every single person's a nick fury whereby mm -hmm. the means meet the ends they are accountable to nobody they are all super powered and none of them have that little emotional flaw they're all very driven it's a very linear path it, it's the doctor strange problem in the mcu he's an asshole and he's an asshole at the end all the way through that film he, all he does is just get better at being obnoxious and better at being a wizard and at the end of it he's a fully formed wizard but he's still got the shitty attitude and that was the thing with this there was no if this was a four-act structure it was the four-act structure without the third act it was without the mm. hero failing. I call it four act because I think there's the introduction. The way I I know it's usually three acts, but you have but an introduction. Maybe you have a introduction, the status quo. You have an event that upsets the status quo. Then you have a loss, and then you have the win. It's mm. like that. It's like that structure taking out the third component of it. It comes too easy. Nobody's had to lose anything to get anywhere. So there's no emotive pull to get back into this. It's just a series of events where people are being good at something with no consequences, just keep being good with no consequences. Side take, not I, I don't want to call it a hot take because that's too strong of a word. I did feel like one character had more of that stuff than the others. 
but the fact that there's only one of them with yeah, all the leads yeah. that they are, I, I see your, I definitely see your point. Um, it didn't occur to me as strongly as it occurred to you because of my attachment to the one character. Okay, I'll tell you what stuck with me the most and I don't want to sound like, okay, part of me was winking and nodding along with it and part of me was upset at the same time because of the yeah, missed opportunity. Yeah. Do you know what I'm about to say? It has to do with a red shirt. <laughs> uh, not your red shirt, but you know the expression, a red shirt? Like the person that goes on the search party and is sent to do oh, something. Right, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so he 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 references himself that he redshirts a character. Right, right, right. And um, and until later. Do you know? Do you know what, Tara? Let's let's not fuck about. Let's let's do. Okay, you've heard us up to this point. We're going to do spoilers now because there's no <laughs> point in doing a retrospective. Why have you clicked on this if you don't want to hear it? So, because I've, I'm starting to feel like we're dancing around this too much. It's, so let's do spoilers. So the point the point that we're talking about is when the central protagonist is it. I was going to say Jon Snow. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing. We need Elijah. Yeah, who is he? Who is he? What's Elijah Snow. Elijah Snow. That, yeah. That that middle issue where they where it's twisted. That mm-hmm. there's no foreshadowing. The one with he's my just got, tattoo like there's, there's, there's some like gaps in his memory, but then all of a sudden it becomes yeah. a massive problem, and then the solution is found almost immediately. I know then it's the trail, trail, and trying to find out who did that to him and why, and then we have the four, and this is one of my other problems with this. The four have shown to be this completely evil device that are all powerful and acting in their self-interest, whereby they're not. They're acquiring the information and the technology for their own personal gains as opposed to distributing it in society. Mm-hmm. Show me. Right. Show well, me. Just tell me, show me. Yes. All I'm hearing, like, who's at this point, I don't know who the good guys and bad guys are. All I know is this almost spectral. I mean, was it about 23rd issue out of 27 before we actually saw them? Too Easily. late. Too Except late. for like one photograph. That's better. When, when you're fucking about for 10. 10 issues on a vanity project that's what you get and even then it's 10 into it and yeah like you said snow does have a path the first 10 issues are basically them searching out artifacts MacGuffins. yeah every time it showed me one i was like okay Chekhov's whatever this is Chekhov's pyramid this is Chekhov's at battle axe time even that... schrodinger's cat <laughs> <laughs> yeah very yeah she... yeah <laughs> Yeah, with the character of Elijah Snow, I've just he he only makes good decisions and he only succeeds despite the fact that he's probably as demonstrative as anybody else. Mm. Did you see when they find that one MacGuffin? It was like a dial that could cycle through alternate dimensions in the multiverse. Yes, and this is actually one of the things that I loved. One of those worlds obviously sensed that there was an external actor on their universe and their mm-hmm. version of the justice league came through mm-hmm. and then there was just this rickshaw sort of cowboy indiana jones sort of group here that just got absolutely destroyed and i yeah. really like that was one of the things that i liked because you you always assume that because of the point of view of the reader is with these guys they're the protagonists that are they necessarily doing the right things right with the four it's good that we're always one step behind because it shows how powerful they are and how advanced they are. But at the same time, I need something. Like, show me what I'm supposed to fear. Because at the minute, it's all intentions. Show me the mm-hmm. effects of that. The one time that I actually understood how grave the four were when they completely wipe out a universe just to keep as a weapons cabinet, that was harrowing. Yes. Chilling. We didn't talk about this ahead of time. This thing is what over seven hundred pages, and I knew exactly what panel you were talking about when you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That means really, a lot. Really impactful. It, need, it needed yeah. more of that though, and it needed to be. Yeah. And it needed to be terra firma. Like I understand that that while like the ice pathways in the park were. Exactly. This is a big, big ideas title, but at the same time, you need to relate it to me. There's a time where there's this big laser beam that shoots through a whole building and hundreds of people die. I was like, wow, now I can relate to this. I'm nearly finished this and my frustration is almost outweighing my need for this. Like at this moment in time, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to finish it. You're giving me this now. If you'd have led, if that was the first fucking issue 
immediately i know how powerful the four are i know the immediate threat i've been in an office i know people that work in offices i can Mm -hmm. relate to that immediately and you don't even have to upset the narrative order because like i said this is almost like a tarantino film you Mm -hmm. can have that 10 years from now and then at the end you revisit it with context exactly and there's literally just one comment like oh that's unfortunate a callous ambivalence that it's mm-hmm. the, the good guys and the bad guys both see it as it's collateral damage this was an, an inevitable act and you're putting your bunker under an office with potentially thousands of people come right. on come on you're the good and, guys this isn't this does not sit with me and you're and you're cataloging things for the universe but you don't really care what happens that doesn't yeah, fit exactly exactly right. exactly like and without that, there is no visceral threat. Right. It's almost theologically threatening. That's a very good point, and I don't want to hop away from it too fast. But at the same time, it gave me the feeling of, I know I'm on a thrill ride instead of I'm in an emotionally precarious place. But I like to feel like I'm in an emotionally precarious place when something this big happens. I think that's why I was struggling at first too. Yeah. Because and I was trying to make more sense of it than there was to make sense of yet. And I understand it. it there's a meta commentary here, which we'll mm-hmm. come on to uh, when we talk about the themes. And while I am very appreciative of what was trying to be executed, as I said previously, that I still have to read this. And I think it, where it succeeds, it, it succeeds in spite of the objective as opposed to because of it. Because of um, it, yeah, see your point. Did, um, am I right in saying that John Cassidy, is it Cassidy or Cassidy? Cassidy, isn't it? It's got to be I Cassidy. assumed Cassidy, but I, yeah. yeah. He's a cool dude, by the way. He's, if you see any interviews with him, I really like- I haven't his seen his job. interviews, but just the- oh, he's um, a cool guy. His credits were blowing me away. Had he won an, did he win an Eisner for this, for best ongoing yes. series? Oh. And I saw that going, and in those first 10 issues, dude, I was like, I'm fucking, I'm done with this art. The the penciling's weak, the inking's too heavy, and the colour the color is piss poor. Like, it's somebody doing a very poor impression of Jai Lee. Ah. No. But then. <laughs> but, yeah. But, dude, uh, he gets better and better with each issue. Every, and, yeah. And Every in, page at some point. <laughs> yes. Yes, and that clumsy inking then becomes like the totem of his style. Very pastel background with with more prime colours for the for the actual actors with jet black inking. No colour, no shade, just boom, this is the dark side. It's very much in that preacher vertigo style. Like it very much looks like a vertigo comic. But dude, he gets good. He gets good. Yeah. It's amazing. And I found myself going, okay, so they did this and then they did this other style on top of it. And then they did a layer that do you know what I mean? Like I wanted I wanted to be a breakdown and I wanted more time to pour over it than I had. (laughs) Did you know he was never actually supposed to be um on planetary? No. And I can't imagine it without him. So, Tara, he was never supposed... No, let's do it seriously. Tara, but did you know that he was never even supposed to be? (laughs) He was never supposed to be drawing this title. Did you know that? I did not, and I can't even imagine it without him. No, I knew you wouldn't know. Let me fill you in. Let me fill you in, my dear. Right. What happened was... The Wildstorm editor, which was Jim Lee's branch of image at that time. Scott Dumbier, or Dumbier, however you pronounce it, he could be, you know, have the garlic charm and swagger, or he could just be a, <laughs> a Midwestern American drinking coffee and eating donuts. <laughs> we don't know. How am I supposed to win choosing between those where I am? Right. <laughs> so he hired Cassidy for the main Wildstorm title. And Jim Lee just said, no, he's an unknown. I want Travis um, Chores to come in and do it. Like, he's got a name. We need someone that's going to draw readers in from issue one. So Lee fired him. Funnily, Chares got fired after four issues because of image. So, however, Warren Ellis had already picked up Cassidy 
to come on to Planetary at that time. So they wanted him to go on back onto Wildcats, but he was like, no. And this story gets even deeper. <laughs> that after, the, I think it may have been towards the end of the first 10 issues, DC tried to fire... <laughs> oh my god it's just there's just too there's too many time image tried to actually fire um cassidy from it and ellis had to plead his case and basically wow. threaten a walkout to keep him on the title and it's probably because his, his art was shit up to that point and then he just got better and better and better. maybe that's why um, it got <laughs> yeah it would make yeah, when a piece it all together now it just makes a lot of sense it really does <laughs> and it's funny look, looking at people like robertson with transmetropolitan Okay. Yeah, and Cassidy worked with him on Planetary, which is seen as two two of the big three of Ellis's um, works of of that period. That they did these two interviews with Robertson, and Robertson said, "Yeah, to be honest, I used to have a script, and it was basically draw what you want. This is basically what I need in these three three pages." Cassidy was like, "Yeah." Ennis, Ellis, sorry, not Ennis. Ellis would be very, <laughs> very detailed, very specific with every single panel. And then it cut to uh, Ellis and he'd be like, well, yeah, I was just very in tune with what the capabilities of each um, artist were and the amount of information that I had to give them. <laughs> Did you notice <laughs> that there were some effects that came along in the artwork? And when I say there were effects... There are places on the, the titles, and it's it's also worth the side note that each each book title is completely different, right down yes. to the logo from oh one another. God. Yeah, I like that a lot too. But um, cinematic to the point where not only did they show distorted perspective at times that seemed true to life to special effects that I've seen um, and funhouse mirrors everywhere, <laughs> but also right down to using things like... Um, tight focus on the important parts and soft focus in the background yeah yeah yeah. and especially coming out at the this moment in time where i don't know if i'm the last person in the universe to actually watch commercials when they come on there's a commercial right now for the up-to-date iphone that talks about the fact that it can do that yeah yeah, yeah, you've seen that commercial where the person that's the leader says i'm important because i'm in sharp focus and the other guy goes am i unimportant and he's sort of blurry what do you mean you're blurry can't you see that i'm blurry and there are blurry people in the background you don't yeah. see that you see lack of detail but you don't see a blurry face also warren ellis was the first person to splash panels he used to call widescreen shots and that was something oh. that he was very much conscious of at this stage and i suppose it goes back to previous conversations of the mise-en-scene placement of the cast the props the pov of the cameras yeah you go from seeing hints of ambition to seeing the ambition played out visually and i don't know if it matters i just want to love it <laughs> to be honest <laughs> is that so bad no, i'm just a girl no. standing in front of an omnibus wanting to love it <laughs> so tara what do you think this was about Ooh, that's harder um that's a hard question. Oh. So, Tara, do you want me to tell you what I thought it was about? You know what? I do. <laughs> because I'm um, still piecing it together. I'm sorry. Warren Ellis's idea was this was a deconstruction of superheroes. Um, yes. When they started in the 60s and early 50s in the Golden Age, what was it that made those heroes so attractive? Now, there's mm -hmm. been a lot theorised about how it was an allegory for other things, which I'll talk about shortly, but that was basically the age. We had the Tarzan character, but it was through the eyes of the modern day, the misogynistic yes. white saviour. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we had Sherlock Holmes, we had um, we had a Dracula who he turns to ice and then kicks him in the nuts. That was <laughs> hilarious. I did like that, because I was worried at that point that, oh, this is taking this far too seriously. And then when he did that, I was like, yeah. There was a clear reference to almost like a Gulliver's Travels giant that was decaying yes. on an island whereby it was clearly meant to be Galactus. Yes. The, the four who are the, the villains of the piece are clearly supposed to be the Fantastic Four, but it was, well, mm -hmm. what if philanthropy 
isn't the objective what if they're selfish people that only want to use it for personal gains what i did also like about that comparison to the fantastic four is reed riches it was at one point don't know if he still is the smartest person in the whole marvel universe and all he's doing is dicking about with space travel when we still have homeless people hiv and cancer like come on dude and i felt it was actually a good commentary on the flaws of those characters but it was also a modern interpretation of them where they're serviced by their deficit as opposed to their what they can do it was more about who they are and what was possibly Mm. more likely with that ellis has said that the first 10 issues as we talked about every issue was supposed to be a pop single so everyone was supposed to be released everybody loved it and then we moved on to the next one there was a good juxtaposition to Mm -hmm. are people worth saving Yes. against the preservation of humanism. Is it better to save the ideas of people than it is to save flawed people? With the objective being of Planetary, that it was to save the information, wasn't it? Their Mm -hmm. objective wasn't to save the people. But can you do that at the expense? And are people worth saving? I thought... It worked as a meta-commentary, but I felt it fell over its own feet to provide that within the world, canonically. I felt mm-hmm. that there was a big disconnection between basically what I would call a vanity project mm-hmm. to, to good storytelling. I definitely see your point there, and I think that's why I'm struggling to make sense of it, because the the end felt like it had a lot more potential yeah um then i think it should have after all that if that makes sense especially i did read those coda pieces that i know they're standalone pieces but they really fly in the face of a lot of things that happened before and i was almost sorry that i read (laughs) Um, and also with the ending that was as abrupt as the twist oh very much so he stayed abrupt with his endings we found a way to defeat them they're gone right See you later in an issue or two issues. Yeah. Well, same, same bat time, same bat channel. If it was that easy. Irony um, intended. Yeah. If if it was that easy, then come on. Like you're, you've literally just defeated the four in an issue. Right. And we've been building up to it for what? Nine, 10. I think more. The ideas come from the page because they're idea archeologists, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, this is almost like a pop culture archaeology that Warren yes. Ellis has provided. He's well almost said. like digging up the elements from the past. And yeah. to start with, I wasn't sure if it was spoof, if it was a spoof, or if Same. it was homage. Especially um, in one of the afterpieces, when you see it, you'll know why I said and, that. And I don't think it's either. I think another curiosity with this, Ennis has always said that humans are capable of greatness, but are killed by the day-to-day restraints of being alive whereas that is almost the antithesis uh, mm-hmm. of this story that it's only the select few that are capable of greatness and it's their day-to-day existence that enables it hmm. maybe it was me projecting but i did see a lot of pathos in the, the beings that had that ability to live longer but you're right they did look at themselves they were bestowed with a great power that they wanted to yield without looking at the downside of having to face day-to-day life for all that extra time like yeah, yeah. you usually see that sort of what's the word um humanity the yeah, humanity yeah. piece is missing i guess because of the lack of consequences maybe and there are consequences but i guess they get thrown out so fast that i, I think the idea of even reflecting on them gets lost in the shuffle by accident this story is one layer of working for me one one mm-hmm. layer whether it's adding something or taking it away it is almost perfect mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that love it for the reasons that i hate it they like the truncated mm-hmm. storytelling at times it felt like the x-files other times it felt that's in my crazy notes too it felt like <laughs> derivative james bond mm, like, i see your point i was your friend but no actually i was an actor for the the villain right 
and, and let me show of, you how. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that oh, thing you I, hate about capers, right? But I knew all along, and that's why I brought you here, and that's why we've both been pulling our punches. I thought about like, the Red Notice podcast. It's, it's like, dude, come on. Come on. Yeah. Like, I've watched a James Bond film. I have seen heist films. We've not used that character. Let's bring him back. Okay, now he's working for the other side. If you'd have put some form of conspiracy aspects into it, or you made me unsure about somebody mm-hmm. at some point, I would have gone, great, but it wasn't. Okay, this guy's working for the other side. No, he's not. Now he's back with us. Okay, him not remembering anything is a problem. Okay, now he can remember everything. Let's move on. Okay, now we need to sort out the four. Okay, we've sorted the four out. What's next? Very abrupt storytelling. Did you feel like I did that at some point, the fact that they knew he didn't know had a purpose and then it didn't get seen through? I liked that issue. That was one of my favorites when he didn't know because as soon as he knew put everything team, different put, put his his team in jeopardy and didn't mess with the needs this either needed to be 10 more issues or it needed to have another level i see your point. and yeah there's so many MacGuffins. yeah sure one of these is going to have to be used in the future of course mm-hmm. it is and i don't know if that's me being unfair to an age of comics that wasn't so drowned in maybe i've been spoiled because this was the game changer before that what was happening was basically <laughs> the X-Men. I, I don't know, but I am reading it today and I have got, I am the beneficiary of that those 20 years. So mm-hmm. in hindsight, but retrospectively, mm-hmm. it was flawed. So when one of those MacGuffins does become active in the plot, I'm like, well, of course it does. You've, there was so many of them. One of them had to do something. But I have a did. feeling maybe in real time, it didn't feel quite so done. Do you know what I mean? Because I think it ushered in a lot of this. And I also think there was a bit of a nod to it and how well, I'm assuming that this was part of putting the omnibus together. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but those pages, those interstitial pages between each issue with the wonderful call out quotations that were just so incredible. At one point I had to stop myself from writing them all down, especially the one where drummer says, did he say justice? And Snow says, no, just us. And that's an expression that I've heard in my life. And so that rang, I I don't know. I guess I'm trying to say, like, do you think those interstitial call-outs were a way of trying to elevate it that way so that some of that that you found missing was there for someone like me who doesn't have the depth of canon knowledge that you do? Because what you're saying is ringing true for me as you say it. It didn't occur to me as much reading it alone. I would say that there are very few real themes that can be executed, and it's in the execution that it matters. I'm sure no. that if I'd read enough Shakespeare, I could draw lines through oh, yeah. to the current day. Like the human experience hasn't really changed. That's just, true. Just we've become more comfortable. Right. I'm very cautious of giving this too much leeway because no, I get it. we read a bunch of Alan Moore last year. Didn't feel that way. When's Garth Ennis month again? Uh, maybe next year. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just saying. All, I feel um, like I came in with more appreciation for people. Even Vendetta, Desolation yeah. Jones, which was written as a 2008 serialized story, like right. very short, punctuated. Desolation Jones is actually a not Desolation, Halo Jones. I Halo, knew what you meant. <laughs> Halo Jones is a very good example of how to make a truncated story it worked. work. It mm-hmm. was very clearly, what, six to eight page parts that were clearly yeah. the end of that part of that issue of 2000 AD, but it fitted together and it was it had narrative haberdashery. <laughs> it was sewn together in a way that, yeah, that's a very short part of the story. Now onto the next short part of the story. Having finished it, it didn't feel that that's the way I read it. I felt like I had the complete story in yeah. my mind, whereas this is truncated. Oops. So you got anything else to say, Tara? Uh, not, not anything special enough, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you have anything that you'd like to say? No. I would say so far on our... Well, in Ellis month, this is the best one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot argue with that logic for so many reasons. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm going to be with you for three of them. 
Which ones are you coming back for? Um, Cressy and the, is it Galactus? I want to add another syllable for some reason. Oh, Galactus yeah, that, yeah. yeah, the Ultimate Galactus trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Looking forward to both. Well, everything. I'm going to read along all mm-hmm. one. I did want to do that double Jones, so I'm glad at least you guys, yeah. two out of three of us will hit that. Double Jones uh, meaning Halo well, let's, and let's sign. Let's sign off, and then we can then we can talk freely afterwards. Okay. <laughs> All right then, Tara. Thank you very much for being a part of it today. Would you like to say goodbye to our avid, rabid fan base? <laughs> I'm sure all of you who are listening. <laughs> um, I hope you've you've enjoyed our discussion today, and I hope you'll join us again soon for more of our look at warren ellis and um if you don't join us for that join us for something else there's plenty of good stuff out there for you to hear like we said earlier in the podcast and thank you thank you all right then guys you've made it to this far so like follow subscribe comment like follow subscribe (laughs) comment like follow subscribe you seen the pattern here Oh, you're seeing a pattern. That's what we do this for. Well, it's not. It's for the adoration of, you know, the millions of followers. It's not the case. Well, actually, that is what we do. Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) I've lost the fly. All right, guys. So that's the end of this one. Please join us again next week if you like the content. And we have a playlist on SoundCloud for Alan Mormont if you like this uh, kind of thing. I've really enjoyed kicking off Warren Ellis month. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you, Tara. Remember, guys, like, follow, comment, subscribe, whatever the platform is. You can give us reviews now as well on Spotify. Go on that and give us five stars. Do it now if you're listening to us. It's a way we're going to get more visible. I truly believe our content deserves deserves a bigger audience. But the irony of it is without that bigger audience, people aren't going to listen to us. So... Be the first, be there at the beginning. Remember, we are at the end underscore pod. I am Matt, your host. And that only leaves me one thing to say. We have been, and this is the end. I found that exhausting. (laughs) I'm so sorry. No, I need to. Oh, shit. I did end meeting. I didn't want to do that. I just stopped recording. Okay.